Hey, it's Brian Winters of The Jump. With the ESPN Daily, you can wake up to the best story you'll heal all day. 20 minutes a day, five days a week, you get an inside look at the most interesting stories at ESPN, as told by the top reporters and insiders on the planet. The breaking news of SportsCenter with the deep dive storytelling of 30 for 30. Today's episode was one I thought our listeners would especially enjoy. So please listen and subscribe to the ESPN Daily wherever you find your favorite podcasts. So Lakers or Bucks, who's the best team in basketball? I would take the Bucks. With the way the Bucks are playing, I, I, I think the Bucks, obviously just the shooters that they have, and Giannis, the way he's playing right now, I, I think he's playing the best in the NBA. Tonight, the teams with the two best records in the NBA face off in what could be a finals preview. One team, the Lakers, gets no shortage of media attention. The other team just posted an 18-game winning streak, has the reigning MVP, and could be the next NBA dynasty if they can just figure out a way to keep Giannis. Today, how the Bucks defied expectations and stayed on top of the NBA, and whether it can last. I'm Mina Kimes. It's Thursday, December 19th. This is ESPN Daily, presented by Dell Small Business. So... Milwaukee sits atop the Eastern Conference, and depending on what power rankings you're looking at, they're number one or number two on every list. Chris, how good is this team? There's a very good chance they're the best team in the league. Chris Herring covers the NBA for 538. You know, maybe so far you can look at the idea that their schedule hasn't been the toughest every night so far. But it looks good when they blow out the Clippers, when Kawhi and Paul George are playing. Maybe they look a lot stronger to some people than what they expected, but they basically look a lot like the 61 team that they were last year when they were the best team in the league record-wise. Giannis is still getting better, which is kind of hard to believe that given exactly how dominant he was last year. But the synergy between the rest of the team in terms of the way they play off him and the way they play together within a system both on offense and defense is just incredible. And oh, look out. Giannis in the open floor to DiVincenzo. They look even stronger in some ways than they did last year. It's interesting that you say that because at the end of last season, after the Bucks were eliminated in the Eastern Conference Finals, I think there was a sense amongst some in the basketball world that they were going to regress. Why was that? Well, they were in a tough spot from a free agency perspective. It's a small market team. And with small market teams, you always have to give more thought to the idea of who are we bringing back and who are we going out and getting? And they lost Malcolm Brogdon. It was kind of a choice between having to do that. They were going to pay Chris Middleton the max. And then they had to figure out whether they're going to be able to bring back Brooke Lopez, who had a really great year last year. So they ended up letting Brogdon go. Well, it's reporting Malcolm Brogdon signing four years, $85 million. Brogdon was obviously the rookie of the year before, had a great season, had a really strong postseason at times and looked really good in that Eastern Conference final series. And so a lot of people didn't want to watch him go. Now he very much looks like he could be an all-star in Indiana, scoring 20, 25 points a game. But I don't know that you're really going to be able to tell whether they took a step forward or not until you you see them in a playoff series and you see matchups really define whether or not Brogdon and letting Brogdon walk was a mistake or whether it was really the right move for them. Chris, generally speaking, how have the Bucs gone about assembling their roster? I mean, their, their team 
is built almost entirely on just a bunch of limbs. You know, I, I was kind of laughing about it. It feels as if basically the, the baseline requirement for this team is either to have a seven-foot wingspan or something close to it. And even if you don't have that, so let's say Eric Bledsoe, for instance, who's only six foot one in terms of his height, he has like a six eight wingspan, which is incredibly abnormal, even for the NBA, to, to have a wingspan seven inches longer than your height. So that's kind of the, the idea that this team has been built around for a while now. They're extremely long on defense, and so that gives them the ability to impact shots at the rim. Here's Hardaway inside, and that's a nice defense to slow things up by Ilya Soto. And that's what the team is really built around. The idea that if you bring the ball inside the paint, we're going to make life a living hell for you in terms of trying to make a basket there. Teams attempt fewer shots against the Bucks at the rim than any team in the league by far. And what's interesting about that is that in a lot of ways, the Bucks would actually prefer you to shoot threes. The Bucks give up really one of the highest shares of three-point shots in the league, which is unusual when you consider that teams want to take that shot. What the Bucks are so good at they're pretty good at kind of directing which players get those shots. So oftentimes those are poor shooters. Crowder's three, not there. Grizzlies a franchise record in three-point attempts for the game. Your final here, Milwaukee 127, the Grizzlies 114. But also they're pretty good at forcing teams to kind of come in and shoot from mid-range. So you look at a game like the one they played against Atlanta recently. And now there are dozens of floaters being shot per game because that's what the defense Trey Young was able to take a lot of shots, but they were all forcing him kind of inside the paint. And so they're very specific about who they want taking those threes from other teams. During the Bucks' epic win streak, they lost Middleton for a couple weeks. There's been other injuries. How much of their success can simply be explained by Giannis sort of evolving into his final form? That's certainly the the easiest thing for people to pick up on, especially if you're not watching them regularly. But I really think it's more than that. And I think a big part of it is the defense. You don't have to necessarily score 125 every night to be able to win uh, when you play defense the way they do when you have the best defense in the league. And I think a big part of it is just their strategy is so sound. The idea of if you are going to shoot threes, that's fine, but you're not going to get anything at the rim. And I was looking before our conversation at some of the numbers – Brooke Lopez, you know, I think for a while people might have considered him to be a, a an average at best defensive player, maybe even slightly below average. He doesn't really look the part that a lot of people think he's not overly athletic. He doesn't move very quickly. But they've designed this defense around him and the idea that, sure, we'll let you drive if you want to. But if you do that, you're going to have to go right up against Brooke Lopez, who's what, seven one seven two. Players are shooting 17 percentage points worse than their average when they go to the basket against Brooke Lopez, which is the best in the league, number one. But number two is basically the best in the database since the league has been tracking that number over the last six or seven years. Nice. Shots, Brooke Lopez gets Thompson. This defense has been stunning in the first half. He should probably be in the conversation for defensive players. It's a little bit early for that. I don't think the average person would know that, but I think it's because people tend to look at the Bucks and they look at Giannis, and you figure that he would probably be a bigger factor defensively than anybody else on that team. But Brooke Lopez has been a huge factor there. It's not just Giannis. Chris Middleton has been efficient. He's probably going to make another all-star team, and he'll deserve it. So a couple people have been responsible for t- picking up the slack where Brogdon left behind when he left 
but it is also Giannis and how much he stepped up and how good he's been. He very easily could win MVP again this season and, again, would probably deserve it. So, Chris, this is a very well-assembled and deliberately put-together roster. It sounds like they could be set up for success for a while. This is a young team. They've, they've got it all. It's a good roster, maybe even a great roster, if they keep Giannis. But that's the big question here. Coming up, how the Bucks are already taking steps to assure that their worst nightmare won't become reality. Chris, the Bucks are successful for a number of reasons, but number one, two, three, four, five is Giannis. Uh, he's going to be eligible for a Supermax next summer. He'll be a free agent the year after that. How much of a concern is there that he could potentially leave Milwaukee? Oh my goodness, how could there not be a huge concern? Especially, I, I imagine for Buck fans, it has to be really kind of disconcerting too when you watch something like Kawhi Leonard win an NBA championship with the team and then leave anyway you know I want to thank uh, the Toronto Raptor fans you know I don't have social media so I'm not able to put out a you know paragraph or whatever but <laughs> but uh... granted that situation is a little bit different you know Kawhi Leonard did not play his whole career in Toronto but I'm sure no matter what there's going to be concern you could probably quiet some of those concerns if you win the whole thing. What are some of the things the Bucks have done so far that seem specifically geared towards keeping Giannis? When they hired Mike Budenholzer, I think one of the first things that either Budenholzer asked to do or that the Bucks asked him to do is, we want you to sit down with Giannis. We want you to walk him through what your vision for this is. And I don't think there's a better version of an offense and, and frankly, even a defense that really fits Giannis better than what there is. I think the idea of keeping Middleton, who, you know, maybe not every team would have wanted to max him out, but it's very clear that Giannis loves playing with Chris Middleton. That's a, a clear sort of thing that I think was there. When you go beyond that, though, you look at the fact that they went and they signed his brother. You know, as much as I like him and I, you know, I like his motor and the way that he defends, he, he doesn't have much offense to, to speak of. He's very much a fringe NBA player at best, and the idea that they would take him on. It's not the first time anyone's done that. Several teams have done that before. I covered the Knicks when they did that with J.R. Smith's brother, of all people. But it is something. It is a gesture. And so I think they've shown they're completely committed to him. I don't think there's anything more they can do in that regard. But that's the paranoia that we've talked about is the idea that how do you get someone to commit to a situation where you know the noise is constantly going to be out there from the media, from the fan bases of the, the the larger markets, from the different sponsors that work with Giannis, where if he was in a bigger market, that there are more opportunities to make big, big money. And uh, there's nothing the Bucks can do about that other than to just win. Is there anything we can read in the tea leaves from Giannis's story so far, what we know about him, that might give us some clarity into what he could decide? I mean, you know, the, the diehard Bucks fans will say, I mean, we remember that 
adorable tweet that he had a couple years ago. Just had my first smoothie. God bless America. You know, and he spelled spelled smoothie wrong with one O instead of two. And the idea that he got his driver's license here in America, that he was learning how to drive from, I don't know if it was teammates or coaches or what have you. You know, that's the sort of stuff that I think that Bucks fans will probably cling to and say that, you know, how could you leave here? When you grew up here, you became a man here. But the truth is, when you're making a big monumental decision like that, and you've got people courting you for the first time where you are in meetings and people are all willing to give you as much money as they can possibly spend on you, when the marketing and the endorsements could be worth even more money if you go to a different market. I don't know that it's fair to say that that we can just rely on the idea that Giannis has said once or twice before that he doesn't see himself leaving Milwaukee. I want to spend the rest of my career here, but you never know what can happen. You know, you never know what can happen, but my plan is to be with the Bucks for as long as I play. We've heard that sort of stuff before from other star players, but for every extra minute that that Supermax is out there and that he's not signing it, if that turns out to be the case, there's just going to be a constant drumbeat that gets louder and louder and louder. So I'd like to preface this by saying I've been to Milwaukee. It's a lovely city, but it's also 27 degrees there right now. I am recording this from sunny Los Angeles, where it is 60 degrees this morning, Chris. (laughs) It sounds like, based on what you're saying, the Bucks' best possible strategy for keeping Giannis is winning a championship. Just winning a championship. No big deal. Easy. As you look at this team right now, how likely do you think that is? I mean, honestly, they right now, they look so much better than everybody else in the East. I mean, it's pretty conceivable to think that they would be the team to come out of the East. Obviously, there's a lot of time for stuff to change between now and then. But I, I do think that as of right now, it seems likely that the Bucks would make it to the finals. And if that's the case, that becomes interesting, too. Is that far enough? And is, does that kind of satisfy Giannis enough that clearly they're on the right path? I don't think there's much more you can do, and you can't make it 60 degrees in in February normally in Milwaukee. I know that (laughs) from living in Chicago. (laughs) So, you know, there's not much that you can do other than that. So you're saying the owner of the Bucks can't build like a giant biodome around the city (laughs) to control the temperature. Are you really? Are you sure? He's pretty rich. It would it would make it a lot more fun to come to Bucks games and, and to kind of bear the cold in the winters that they have if they could do that. I'm all for it. Thanks, Chris. Stay warm. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mina. Coming up, should we really be paying for new Jumbotrons? Here's another story I want you to know. It's well established by now that stadiums built with public money, which is to say most stadiums, are a total boondoggle. Pretty much every sports economist in America agrees that the benefits flow mostly to billionaire owners and that the entire setup is a ripoff for cities and states. But it keeps happening. And now, there's a new twist. According to a story from Bloomberg's Noah Buhayer and Jesse Hamilton, two government agencies, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which, by the way, sounds like something that exists in Star Wars and not the real world, but that's neither here nor there, have proposed rules that would allow some sports teams to pick up tax breaks on stadium improvements by claiming it would help people in poor neighborhoods. It all goes back to something called the Community Reinvestment Act, which was created in 1977 
to encourage banks to give loans to people in lower-income areas. The two agencies are attempting to modernize the rules by doing things like giving banks credit for supporting art centers or installing new factories or financing stadium projects like a new gigantic video screen. Now, this only applies to stadiums and arenas in designated opportunity zones, which include Empower Field, where the Broncos play in Denver, and the site of the new stadium in Las Vegas, amongst other places. But obviously, this is absurd. If a billionaire wants to build a retractable roof or add fancy suites or put up a zip line, which is a real thing you can do at SunTrust Park, by the way, he or she shouldn't get government money to do it. Sure, the upgrade might create some temporary labor, but time and time again, economists have told us that the government's money would be better allocated elsewhere to people who really need it and aren't just looking for another easy win. I'm Mina Kimes, and this has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.